Well, hello, Grace Fellowship. Let me ask you a question as we kick off this brand new sermon and indeed a brand new series for the month of June. If you're a believer, if you're a person of faith, a follower of Jesus Christ, has God ever called you to do something and you knew pretty clearly what he wanted you to do, but quite frankly, you just weren't into it. You simply did not want to obey what God was calling you to do. I think most believers have been there one time or another. And that was this prophet Jonah's dilemma. As we dive into his story today, uh, this is not just a history lesson, although we're going to learn a lot, I think, through these four weeks together. But more than anything, it's going to be a very personal exploration into our own walk with Jesus Christ. I want you to know this is going to be intensely personal. And as we learn together, week after week, we're going to take a chapter a week. I believe that God is going to open up new revelation, new insight, new ideas, and indeed some new callings for every one of us. So let's kick it off. I want you to see now God's call and Jonah's response to that call. I'm working in this series from a, a translation called the New American Standard Version. It's actually from 1977. It's not, it's the Lachman one that I memorized way back in the early 80s, and I, that's the one I've been using and rehearsing every week since then. So I'll be working from that. If it's a little different than the translation you're using, that's awesome. Um, and you may get some different nuances than, than from the one I'm using. In verse one, we see this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, I want you to notice there are three strong imperatives. That word means a command here right from the get-go. God said, I want you to arise, I want you to go, and I want you to cry against this city. It's a very clear call. But not only does Jonah know what God wants him to do, he knows where he wants him to go. He's to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was one of the great cities of the ancient world. From where Jonah was geographically, it was about 500 miles to the northeast of where Jonah was living at the time when he received this call. It was a large city, especially for the day, most scholars believe over a million people resided in that city. And it was located in what many historians and anthropologists believe is where civilization first began. It's called the cradle of civilization. That is the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley, a very fertile area as they harness the water from those rivers to cultivate their crops. And Jonah also knows the reason he's supposed to go. He's to cry against the city because of the city's wickedness that's come up before God. But I want you to notice Jonah's response in verse three. It's very interesting. But Jonah, after hearing this very clear call, 
rises up and he says he went to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, where is this weird city, this interesting name called Tarshish? Well, it was actually 2,000 miles west of where Jonah was at the time. In other words, it was the opposite direction. But you need to know it also represented the end of the known world at that time. That's where the map ended. It was in southern Spain. It was a little seaport that had been established in the ancient world by the Phoenicians, and it represented the end of the known world. Jonah's basically saying, I want to get as far away from Nineveh as I can possibly get. Now, why would he have that kind of response? Well, we can only conjecture about that, but I I think these are educated guesses, reasons why Jonah didn't want to go. Reason number one, this was so foreign to his Hebrew culture, Nineveh was the center of a massive fertility cult. Now, what is a fertility cult? These were common in this time in the ancient world. It's where people believe that the gods, little g, the gods, and most people were polytheistic, most cultures were in that day, they believed that the gods controlled everything in their world. So if we're gonna have a good crop this year, if we're gonna have enough rain for our crops, if the weather was gonna be nice, if we weren't gonna have disasters, et cetera, et cetera, it all depended on if the gods were kind to us and appeased. And so, one of the things that they did was engage in sexual activity of various kinds in order to try to encourage this fertility for the crops to be good. It wouldn't be polite for me and this company to get into detail about what they did. If you're curious, read it on your own. Go for it and read it, but believe me, It rivals anything we know in our modern world. Secondly, Jonah probably didn't want to go, number two, because Nineveh was known for its child sacrifices. Now, this is very brutal. But again, they were polytheistic, but one of their main gods was the god called Dagon, the god of the sea. And they built massive altars to Dagon, one of the altars in Archaeologists have excavated huge sections around Nineveh. One of them was a big bull that they would build an intensive fire in. And when the fire was at its hottest, this is, this is brutal, brace yourself, they would bring precious babies, infants, and cast them into the fire. And to the dying screams of these babies, the priest and priestesses of Dagon would sing their monotonous chants. Now, that that staggers our imagination, I believe, most of us today. How could people believe that there could be anything redemptive, anything good, anything that would lead to human flourishing through a barbaric practice like this? But that's one of the reasons that God said to Jonah, their wickedness has come up before me. God saw this taking of innocent life. God saw the cruelty. 
we need to understand that God still sees today whenever there is injustice, whenever there is the taking of innocent life, whenever there is this kind of cruelty being practiced in the world. But third, I think one of the reasons Jonah didn't want to go is that the Assyrians who, who occupied Nineveh at this time were known for their cruel brutality, especially to prisoners of war. Now, the Assyrians were accomplished warriors. They, their exploits were legendary. But one of the things they tried to stoke up was a horrific fear and intimidation factor. So again, I apologize for the graphicness of this, but they would cut off the hands, the feet, the ears, the noses, put out the eyes of their captured victims. I mean, is there any wonder that Jonah trembled at such a call? I mean, he wants nothing to do with these barbaric people. To him, they were so despicable, he just didn't want to be around them. But here's the thing, not only are all these things I'm telling you true, but they were actually proud that they were known for these things. And Jonah knew all of this. Uh, this is pure conjecture right now, what I'm about to say. But some scholars believe that perhaps some of Jonah's own family members had been murdered by the Assyrians. Would you have wanted to go? And yet, God cares, this is a mind blower, about this sin-saturated city. God wanted a message of grace to be taken to the heart of the city. Christians, followers of Jesus today, please hear me. God cares about cities. Because cities have this thing called people. And God loves people. And people tend to be concentrated into this thing we call cities. Abraham looked for a city. Scripture says God is building a city. Jesus wept over a city, Jerusalem. Paul's strategy when he went around on his missionary tours he didn't just go out to podunk places, nowhere. He usually went to cities because that's where the people were. Oh, I, I, I promise you, I, I probably won't harp on this every week, but you've heard me say just recently, please, 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 as followers of Jesus, don't try to run away from unbelievers. One of the great tragedies, in my opinion, of the last 100 years in the United States of America is so many of God's choicest saints have wanted little or nothing to do with the cities around them. They thought they're beyond hope. Oh, there's so much wickedness in the city. I just wanna get away from the city and I get it. I get it, it's complicated, right? And yet God had a call on Jonah's life and he had something he wanted to do with the people in the city of Nineveh. Don't you find it interesting that based on their lifestyle, the Ninevites wanted nothing to do with the true and living God, and yet God, were in, God was interested in them. Don't you find that 
fascinating? So in this very direct, clear way, God tells the prophet, here's what I want you to do. But verse three says that his response was this. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, little seaport nearby, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them, that is with the sailors, with the people on board, with the captain and all the crew, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah says, I'm done. I quit. This prophet gig isn't working out like I thought. By the way, if you're curious about the prophets in the Old Testament, they, they all have very interesting calls. And some of, them, some of them were resistant to the call of God at first. Many of them complained about the call of God later. I mean, read Jeremiah. He flat out accuses God of deceiving him. He, he, he goes overboard in his complaints. Jeremiah does. He said, God, you deceived me and I was deceived. He hated his call as a prophet. But Jonah is distinctive. Jonah is the only prophet in the Old Testament who, after receiving his call from God, just flat out refused to go. That, at least at first, that is his claim to fame. Now, I wanna pause here and again, as I said, get very, very personal. If you're a follower of the Lord today, I want you to know there comes a time in every believer's life when God nudges you, calls you, I don't know if he'll speak to you in an audible voice. I don't know if you'll be reading along in his word and he'll make a verse just leap off the page and capture your imagination. I don't know if he'll whisper to you while you're in a season of prayer, perhaps. I don't know how he'll do it. But there'll come a time in your life when God will put something strongly, and I mean strongly on your heart. There's no doubt about it. This is what he wants you to do and the question then becomes, what am I going to do about that? You may go, God, someday I'll get to that. You may say, Lord, no, I, I just can't understand why you'd be concerned about that. It may not be a city, it may be a person, an individual, it may be a family, it may be a project that's going to help people thrive and flourish. Whatever it is, the question that comes, what are we gonna do about it? So let me plant this seed right now and I'll come back to it later. What is the Nineveh in your life? I believe the Holy Spirit's already speaking right now to people. What is the Nineveh? What is that thing, that place, that person that God is calling you to rise up and go to and have a ministry with, but frankly, you just don't wanna do it. So I wanna shift gears now and talk about how God deals with disobedience. Look with me at verse four. And the Lord hurled, that's a very strong Hebrew word. It's an active thing. So this is giving us a clue now as the readers that God is now act. This is not just a natural event, in other words, because storms happen in the world. They're just because of the natural warp and woof of life and how all the currents go and how meteorology works and all the laws that govern it that God created. 
This is not that. This is God actively sending a horrific storm into Jonah's life. He hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. This is supernatural. Verse five goes on to say, and remember now, these are seasoned sailors. The sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God. See, there's all these gods. They've all got their own personal gods and family gods and tribal gods. They're crying to their God, whatever their God's name is. And they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But notice what Jonah's doing through all the chaos. Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. Now, these are not amateur sailors. These aren't weekend warriors. These guys earned their living and they've been through a lot of fierce storms, but they're scared out of their wits at this one. They know this is not your typical storm. So they're doing everything they know to do just to survive so the ship will not go down. But Jonah is asleep through it all. Now, I've, I've, I've heard some Christians read this and say, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, how can a real believer sleep through that? I'm gonna suggest a theory I'm gonna suggest that through his disobedience, Jonah's conscience has been seared here. And a seared conscience is a serious matter. It eventually makes you callous to spiritual promptings. I'm thankful I've never had a third degree burn, but I understand that, that when you have serious third degree kinds of burns that it so damages and so destroys nerve endings that you no longer have any feeling there. And if we persist in unbelief and in disobedience to God, an insensitivity kicks in and our conscience becomes seared. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice another thing here. Even in his disobedience, everything at first, at first, seemed to be going smoothly. I mean, think about it. He goes down to Joppa, trip goes okay, weather's probably okay. He finds a ship, oh my goodness, here's a ship right here, ready to sail for my destination. And there, wouldn't you know it, it's not always true, but there's room on board this ship, and hey, I've got enough money to buy the ticket. Everything seems to be working out favorably with circumstances. And when that happens in a Christian's life, sometimes naive Christians conclude, God must be blessing this adventure. Well, I, I guess maybe God is not that displeased with what I'm doing right now because hey, so many things are working out really, really great. We can fool ourselves. I heard about two country boys named Zeke and Ned. 
They're trying to find an ingenious way to make some money, and they saw advertised that a company was offering $5,000 a piece for live wolves. You had to catch them alive, all right? And they hunted all day, couldn't find any. They finally bedded out down for the night, built a little campfire, and in the middle of the night, Zeke, one of the country boys, awakened only to see that their camp was surrounded by 50 ravenous wolves. Their eyes were blazing, saliva dripping from their hungry mouths as they snarled and growled. Zeke nudged his buddy Ned and said, Ned, wake up, we're rich. you may be in more trouble than you realize. (laughs) Circumstances may look good right now, but listen to me, one of the healthiest signs of a true believer is there is a sensitivity to sin. Listen, if you can sin with a sense of impunity, if you can just blatantly disobey God without any twinge of conscience, something has gone wrong. Are we stricken by appropriate guilt? Appropriate guilt. When we step outside of God's will. Or has our conscience become so seared by repeated disobedience that we have no sensitivity to the Spirit's conviction any longer? I tell you folks, mark it, it's a serious matter in a believer's life. Because as true believers, we wanna please our heavenly Father But that requires a lifestyle, a cadence, a regularity of obeying what we know we should do. I want you to see verse six now. So this captain approached him and said, how is it that you're sleeping? The captain's amazed that anybody could sleep through this. Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we'll not perish. And each man said to his mate, now these are the sailors talking now, come, let us cast lots. It was an ancient way of trying to discern what was going on here and what was supernaturally behind something. So we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. Ah, here's the culprit. You're the cause. You're the reason. (laughs) All of this is coming upon us. So the sailors apparently drag him up on deck and they begin to pummel him with questions here in verse eight. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What's your occupation? I mean, are you into something really kinky and weird here that's caused God to do this? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? His back's against the wall. He knows he's guilty. And so he just gets honest with them. He said, look, I'm a Hebrew. Now they knew about the Hebrews. Those are those weird people who only believe in one God. Who could possibly just believe in one God? I mean, we've got hundreds of them. 
And I fear that God. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I'm a prophet. And they're all going, oh no, this was supposed to be a non-profit journey. That's the reason we've got to. Just as an aside here, have you ever noticed we're basically in a culture where people don't want to acknowledge God. You've got to agree with that. I mean, just the average secular humanistic kind of person just doesn't want to acknowledge God. Even to talk about prayer or anything spiritual is just kind of taboo. It's gauche. It's out of place, especially on any kind of national platform. But ever notice that when there's a desperate situation, have you ever noticed just about everybody wants to pray. You remember just this year, January 2nd, Monday night football. I don't usually watch Monday night football, but I wanted to give one of our New York teams a little love. And Buffalo was playing Cincinnati. You remember this game, right? And man, the game is just getting started. And DeMar Hamlin makes just sort of a routine tackle, no big deal. And after this tackle, his heart stopped beating. He collapsed to the turf motionless. And suddenly, prayer was a thing. Wow, you remember this? And suddenly, players, both teams down on their knees, crying and praying, suddenly coaching staff, head coaches, managers, everybody down on their knees praying for DeMar Hamlin. And I just watched this unfold. Deb and I were watching this scene and I couldn't believe it. At, at first, announcers who didn't even know they could say the word prayer without getting fired, <laughs> honestly, afraid to even utter the word prayer, will I still have my job if I say that word? Suddenly, it becomes like a prayer meeting. And suddenly, over the next several days, ESPN is like a church, and everybody's talking about the power of prayer. I get it. When you're desperate, just about everybody wants to pray. And so these pagan sailors are, are desperate and they're seeking answers. Verse 10 says, then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now let me just make an aside right here. Jonah knew better. He knew he couldn't flee from the presence of the Lord he knew, like Psalm 139 says, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me. He knew that. He knew he couldn't really get away from God's omnipresence. But he was trying to get away from God's prophetic assignment. And so verse 11 goes on. They said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. 
And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Jonah is willing for them to throw him in because at least he won't have to go to the stinking city of Nineveh. But I find it interesting that never once does he take the prerogative of taking his own life. Verse 13 is very powerful. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Why didn't they just toss the joker over right away? We don't know. Maybe they were afraid that the same God that was getting Jonah and after Jonah was gonna then come after them in some way. Maybe, maybe they're just afraid or maybe they honestly cared more about Jonah's life than he cared about his own life. One thing is for sure, God had their attention. Verse 14, then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, Do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us for thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. So they picked up Jonah, didn't want to, were reluctant to, afraid to go through with this for what might happen. But finally, looks like we got no other choice. They picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. Notice the sea stopped it's raging. By the way, I, I, I'm certainly no expert on boating or ships or anything like that. All I know is that I went across the English Channel one night from Dover, England to a port in France. And even though that's such a short ride, the boat was rather small. And I mean, I, re, I affectionately refer back to that night ride across the English Channel as the barf boat. I have never seen so much vomit in all of my life. I mean, seriously, folks, vomit was everything. Virtually everyone was throwing up, okay? It was unbelievable. And so uh, I know the power of a, what it can do to the sea, but notice it says the sea stops. Here's the deal. Even after a storm stops raging, the sea is still in turmoil. This is another indication that God is really at work here because even the sea becomes calm, just as in the miracle when Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves. The storm didn't just stop, but the waves stopped. Waves are gonna go on for hours, sometimes even days out on the sea, even after the storm has gone. So verse 16 says, then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Has God ever gotten your attention through a dramatic experience? What did you do? Notice it says, they feared the Lord greatly, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. It seems to me that even in their own pagan hearts, God is beginning to do a work. God is beginning to do something in their lives. And what happened next, folks, is one of the great providential miracles and interventions of God in all of history. Verse 17 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Wow. Would you agree that is one amazing story? But it gets even more amazing, and that's why I don't want you to miss the next three weeks because we're gonna go chapter by chapter. There's all kinds of powerful insights in this story. I don't want you to miss that, but I do wanna wrap up today with two powerful lessons for life. Here they are, here they are. Number one, even rebellious believers may experience favorable circumstances for a while. As I said earlier, Jonah had initial success, but notice things went downhill from there, okay? It says he went down to Joppa, all right? He went down into the hold of the ship, and now he's down in the belly of a great fish. Now, I know a lot of people read this story, and they they ask strange questions like, wait a minute, could that really happen? I mean, three days and three nights? That's why you gotta come back next week. I wanna show you how not only is it possible, it's very feasible, but it's not the amazing fish, it's the great God behind the great fish that is at work here, and that same God wants to be at work in our lives today. Lesson number two, oh, don't don't miss this one. God's discipline is not to destroy us, to preserve and prepare us. Final verses, Hebrews Chapter 12, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God will bring discipline into our lives, but it's not just to punish. It is always redemptive. It's one of the tools he uses to shape us. So when that happens in our lives, and some of you are in it right now, the question is never, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? The question should always be, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? Why did I get fired from that job? Why did that relationship end? Why did you allow this adversity in my life? Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? So God is preserving Jonah because he wants to use him. And by the way, the very fact that Jonah came from the sea, remember the number one God of the Ninevites? Ninevites, Dagon, the God of the sea. The mere fact that Jonah came from the sea was gonna be a powerful dimension in how his message was received. You get the lesson in that? God's gonna take the very things he's brought you through and he's gonna use them powerfully in the mission he has for your life. So here's my final question to you as we close. I wanna go full circle. What is the Nineveh in your life. That thing God's calling you, just like he called Jonah, it doesn't have to be something wicked and despicable like Nineveh was at the time. It could be something very different, but God's calling you to rise up, to go and address that, to follow his lead. 
oh, we're going to learn so much together. God's going to give us faith to believe, and he's going to give us the will to obey what he's calling us to do. Father, thank you for how you used discipline in the life of Jonah, your prophet, to bring about good for a massive city of, of people. Lord, we know you're still at work today. And so we look to you, not only today, but in the days to come, we look to you to speak to us and guide us and call us to the Ninevehs out there, whatever that might be, that you want us to bring your message of good news to. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.